All right, you guys could be seated. Well, let me just say welcome. I'm glad you guys are here. My name is Tony. I'm teaching pastor here. I'm glad you guys have joined us for this uh, special service here to celebrate Christmas Eve. This is our first chance that we have had to do this, not our first Christmas Eve service, but our first in a building. And so uh, we really appreciate you guys coming to be and be a part, or coming here to be a part of this and uh, um, joining, joining us for this. Um, I know this is a special time. I'll try to keep this relatively uh, short, but my prayer is that in this time we'll be able to meditate and consider what God has done uh, that will stir our hearts tonight and even as we move into uh, and toward Christmas morning. If you've been here at uh, Providence at all during the month of December, you know that we've been focusing on this idea of beholding, specifically the invitation that's found throughout uh, the Christmas stories in Matthew, Luke, John, uh, through their Gospels. What we've seen is this re- repeated invitation to come behold, given to Joseph, given to Mary, given to the shepherds, given to the wise men. Over and over and over we have been told, come behold. And what we've seen is that that word behold is a loaded word. It's meant to grab our attention, and at the same time, it's meant to summon us to something, to respond to an invitation. This angel uh, has, has, has shown up, and an angel, like I said, has told Joseph, told Mary. It's just over and over and over we see it throughout uh, the narrative. And it can be easy for us to come here on Christmas Eve, to do our thing here, to go home, celebrate Christmas, and take that idea of beholding for granted. You see, we've always known Christmas in our world. We've always known the idea of Christmas, whether that means for you uh, shopping and buying gifts, whether that means for you decorations and red and green, or whether that means for you church and being a part of the celebration that is Christmas and the Incarnation. For us, it's always been there. But for those that were a part of this story in the beginning, it was not always there for them. You see, the idea of Christmas was almost unimaginable. The idea that they could see God. That God would come in the form of a baby. Not with pomp and circumstance, not with all that is due a royal birth, but instead in a manger. It is unimaginable to even consider if we did not have it for us to read. But we do. And it's too easy for us for Christmas just to be another day on the calendar. I mean, it's a day we get to party, it's a day we get to eat, it's a day we get to open presents, it's a, get, it's a day we get to do a lot of things that much of our calendar revolves around, but it's still just a day. It's so familiar. My challenge to you tonight will be to make that a little bit more unfamiliar. This summer, I spoke a, a little bit about something that really captured my attention. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but this summer marked the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 and Neil Armstrong's walk on the moon, a feat that is still itself uh, almost unimaginable. It is almost impossible for us to wrap our minds around. In preparation for this, I, I, I read a book or listened to a book called uh, Rocket Men. It was not about Apollo 11, but instead it was about Apollo 8. And Apollo 8 was the one just a few months before Apollo 11 that set the stage for Apollo 11, the one that carried them to the moon to walk on the moon. But Apollo 8 was a rushed mission thrown together uh, so that three men could, for the first time in history, leave the gravitational pull of Earth. And they were sent to the moon. 
They would go to the moon, they would orbit the moon a few times, be captured by the orbit of the moon, the gravity of the moon, orbit around it a few times, and then come back home. And this was to prove that this was even possible, because they didn't even know it was possible at all. Now you have to understand, these were astronauts, top of the, top of the, the, the heap. So one of the guys was, was Jim Lovell, if you saw Apollo 13, the guy that, plays, that Tom Hanks plays, he was one of the guys that was on this mission. These were the best of the best. They knew everything there was to know about the moon. They knew its topography. They knew its ge- ge- uh, geography. They knew the gravitational pull. They knew the rocket science behind how to get there and how to get back home, how to drive, how to pilot. They knew everything there was to know about the moon. They had devoted their lives to knowing that moon. They had, deci- they had, they had disciplined their minds to be able to know everything about it everything that was required to get there, and then they had disciplined their bodies to be able to execute all of that to get them there. They could have taught a PhD-level course about the moon. They were the experts. But when you read the account of them showing up to the moon and then orbiting the moon, what you see is that experts are not. When they saw the moon and were captured by the gravity of the moon, they were speechless, breathless even. They realized that there was a big difference between knowing about the moon and then showing up and actually experiencing the moment of orbiting the moon. Seeing it now just feet away from their their window as they could look down and they could see the surface and they could see the sea of tranquility and they could see the the, the mountains and the ridges and they could see the the, the dirt and the particles for the first time. It it changed each of them. They even went around to the, as they orbited the moon, they would see for the first time ever the the dark side of the moon, the, 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 the side that doesn't have the sun shining on it that we can't see. And what they realized very quickly is that their experience of the moon far outweighed their knowledge of the moon, even though they knew basically all there was to know at that time. And you know what's really cool? The day that they reached and orbited the moon for the first time was today, 51 years ago. It was a a, a mission that was almost scrapped Simply because if everything didn't go exactly right, everything that only existed in theory, then what would happen is Americans and the world would look up at the moon on Christmas Day and they would see men that were trapped in the orbit of the moon, trapped there to die. And it would have ruined Christmas for so many. And it would have ruined, so it was almost scrapped because they didn't want to ruin Christmas. But they decided to go anyway at this time, so they went, and this was 51 years ago to the day that a television broadcast that the entire world tuned in for. They had thought long and hard about what to say during this massive moment in history. What would they tell the world about what they had seen as they orbited the moon? What would they say that could convey all of their knowledge about the moon and then convey the experience of seeing it and being there? I want to play a short clip for you that has the audio that was broadcast to the world on Christmas Eve 51 years ago. So go ahead. We'll get audio in just a second. God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of 
signs of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and divided the light from the darkness. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. When I read that or listened to that this summer, I, I, I listened to that part of it and I sobbed like a baby. Caught me totally off guard. I called Emily and I'm like, this is ridiculous. I cannot stop crying right now. Um, this was the only thing that they could think to say in this moment. They read the words of Scripture. Because for the first time they've been able to behold something in it that, that they had they'd not been able to, to fully experience before. And it marked them. It marked them. It shook them. And the words of Scripture were the only response that made sense to them. Following that, the men tried to get back to their jobs to do whatever it is that an astronaut does while he's orbiting the moon. He tried to get back to that, and they, and they were circling the moon, orbiting the moon a few more times. And when the, the, the moon came into focus, what came into focus coming around the moon wasn't the moon, but it was actually this picture that was taken from, uh, from uh, Apollo 8. This is the first time that human eyes had seen an earth rise. And what they were able to see looking over this is this picture of the, the, the earth coming up over the horizon of the moon. And what happened then is they were completely caught off guard because what, what they would go on to say is that, that they came for the moon, but what they found was the earth. They came to see the moon and that, that blew them away, but what really transformed them was when they saw, when they saw the earth. They saw that and it and it blew their minds what they were able to do and what they were able to see. It stunned them all back into silence and breathlessness again. The black darkness of space and the blue ball that stood out against it. One of the astronauts said it was the most beautiful thing he had ever seen. No countries, no borders, just a ball that held his family and his friends that he desperately wanted to get back to. To another, he said it felt like a Christmas ornament hanging against the blackness of space, full of beauty and designed to capture our attention. And it surprised them all. They had come for the moon, but it was the earth that captivated them. Sometimes God works like that. He draws us in, and we think we're here for one thing, but another happens. Over the past few weeks and the past few months here at Providence, we've, we've seen a few times where people have beheld God, where they have experienced God in a way that they did not know Him before. We saw Moses and how God tucked him into a, a rock because Moses said, God, I just want to be able to see you, a, a piece of your glory. And what he did is he tucked him in a rock and said, all right, I'm going to pass by and you can just see me from the back. And even that marked Moses so much that his, his, his face, his complexion was changed to the point people couldn't even look at him because he glowed. It so affected him and it so marked him. 
Last week we looked at, the, at Isaiah chapter 6, and what we saw in Isaiah chapter 6 was the famous passage where he says that he saw the Lord seated on his throne high and lifted up. And you get to the end of that passage and he says, my eyes have seen the king. He beholds the king for the first time. And what was his response to the king? He said, woe is me. I am ruined. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell among in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Isaiah could say that his eyes had seen the king, but it was not without being marked by the king. He realized in that moment he did not belong there. Not in the presence of a holy God. He falls on his face. He cries out in anguish over his sin and the sin of his people. When his eyes saw the king, he was changed. He was terrified. And he was marked forever. I want to look at one more place where this happens as we kind of draw to a conclusion this morning. I want to look at one more place where this happens. The book of Job we know and is known for what Job loses, for what he suffers, for the patience that he endures that suffering with. But it's the end of the book where we learn much of what what Job learns in response to that suffering and where you see such beautiful poetry there. Job asks questions of God and he wants to know where is God in the midst of all of this pain and this suffering? What is God doing? He wants to know, should he listen to his friend's advice or, or, or what's going on? And that's when God answers him. Answers him. Here's, here's a sample. It goes on for three chapters like this. In, verse, in chapter 38, it says, The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, who, who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. And God goes on responding to Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were the, <clears throat> on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the songs of God shouted for joy. On and on and on this goes for three chapters saying, where were you when I did all of this, Job? Oh yeah, you didn't exist, but I did. I existed and I had the power to do it. On and on and on it goes. You want to know who I am, Job? Prepare yourself because I'm going to let you know. When you get to the end of this three chapters later, what you see in chapter 42 is Job's reaction. Chapter 42, verse 1, Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. You see, Job found out the same thing Isaiah did, the same thing that Moses did before him. That experiencing God is different than hearing about God or just kind of halfway knowing something about God. When he experienced God and truly beheld God in his glory, it marked him. It changed him. He despised himself, much like Isaiah. He wants to repent in dust and ashes. And this evening as we draw to a close, my question is this. This season here at Christmas, have you taken time and beheld 
God? Do you know God? Or do you just know about God? Maybe you came to church with a family member today. Maybe you came just to kind of check the box of religious things that you do during the Christmas season. God has an invitation to you. He says, come behold. He puts out that invitation to you, and it's an invitation open to anyone. And I want to I I emphasize this. The fact that it says, come behold, and that that invitation is to any of us, that is the Christmas miracle. Not so much that, that, that a virgin would have a child, not so much that angels would show up and they would proclaim this announcement. Those are all miracles too. But the miracle of Christmas is that that call to behold goes out to all of us. Sinners like Isaiah, sinners just like Job, people who, who should, in, in the face of God, fall short and fall flat on our face because we too are sinners. But the miracle of Christmas is that when we sing these songs tonight, when we pray these prayers, when we consider who God is, what we do is that we run to Him, not from Him. We run to Him because we behold Him. And that this same God that Job talks about here, the same God Isaiah talks about here, massive in scope, who laid the foundations of the world, who put the moon in its place, who set the foundations of the earth, that same God comes in the form of a baby. And our call is to come behold. That's my challenge to you tonight. That's what I want to lay out to you as we consider just a brief moment tonight. To come and behold what God has done. And that, that invitation is for us all. And my challenge to you is not to just know about God, but to know God and respond to that invitation. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you this evening that we come not to celebrate just the miracles of a physical life, that, that, that a baby would be born, that, that angels would show up, but that we can celebrate the miracle of forgiveness. The miracle of beholding beholding you in a baby. Beholding your Son here on this earth in our flesh. Undeserved grace. Will you teach us what it means to behold and to know you, not just know about you? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.